Hello members and anyone listening on the podcast. As we continue the Salem Witch Trials, we're now on drawing battle lines in Salem Village. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Beginning of Samuel Paris's sermon, November the 22nd. 1691. Salem Village was in many ways a typical settlement in Massachusetts Bay, and yet history has made it stand out as the location of what was by far the largest and most lethal witch hunt in American history, and the last major episode in the English-speaking world. What was so special about Salem? As we have seen, the same conditions and made the entire Massachusetts Bay Colony in the early 1690s vulnerable to a witchcraft crisis. Clearly other factors had to be at work in Salem. The initial English settlement of old sorry settlement of Salem dates to 1626 when Roger Conant led a group of about 20 families to the place the Pawtucket Indians called Nonkieg, fishing place. It was an apt description for the sizeable, plentiful and well-protected harbour. The location had been a thriving native village until 1616 when a great plague began. The Pawtucket had no resistance to newly introduced European diseases in a three-year period, much of the native population of coastal eastern New England succumbed. When Conant and his group arrived, there were only a handful of Native Americans left, and Nomkieg was largely a widowed landscape of deserted cornfields and desolate wigwams. The English men moved south for Cape Anne, when they abandoned the Dorchester Company's fishing station there. The subsequent bankruptcy of the Dorchester Company meant that the settlement at Norm Kuyeg would become a part of a new venture, eventually named and chartered the Massachusetts Bay Company. In 1628, the company sent John Endicott, the new governor, along with about 100 settlers, to pave the way for a major migration. Although there were some disagreements between Conant and Endicott and their respective followers, the two groups peacefully worked out their differences. As a symbol of that harmony, they renamed their settlement Salem from Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, as in Jerusalem, which means city of peace. In the summer of 1630, a fleet of 11 ships and 700 settlers arrived in Salem, led by yet another new governor, John Winthrop. He and the majority of the new arrivals decided to push further south, down the coast, where they established Boston, making it the seat of the new colony. Thus, Salem was the first settlement of Massachusetts Bay. And though it was quickly... Eclipsed in size and authority by Boston, it would remain the second most important settlement in Massachusetts Bay throughout the colonial era. A populous and prosperous port town that provided political, religious and economic leadership 
to the colony. The early settlers of Massachusetts Bay had traditionally been depicted as a somewhat homogeneous group of English, the Puritans who largely hailed from East Anglia. While the population was overwhelmingly English, and most believed in some versions of Puritanism, there was still considerable diversity in Salem and other Massachusetts towns. The early settlers of Salem came not just from East Anglia, but from different parts of England. Conard and, and Endicott and most of their followers, for example, hailed from the southwest of England, the region known as West Country. At the time, each part of England had its own unique practices, customs and religious beliefs. And settlers brought these traditions with them to Massachusetts. For example, West Country inhabitants were less likely to be adherents to Puritanism, Puritanism, sorry, than East Anglians. In its initial English settlement, then, America was a place in which various English traditions collided and interacted while maintaining their own distant and distinct identities. Salem Village from the 1630s through the 1650s was similar to settlements elsewhere in the region. As the growing population needed new land, people gradually began to move away from the initial coastal townships into the interior. Settlers received grants of land in the area first known as Salem Farms and later known as Salem Village and moved into other parts of Salem's expansive hinterlands. Like most of the founding towns of Massachusetts Bay, Salem covered a huge geographical area. The initial town boundaries include not only what is now the city of Salem, but also all parts of the present-day Peabody, Danvers, Marblehead, Middleton, Beverly, Manchester, Wenham, Topsfield and Swampscott. The original settlement took root on the harbour front of Salem Neck, bounded by the North and South Rivers. This area soon grew on to be the waterfront sometimes known as Salem Town. The Neck tended to be settled by families that had migrated from East Anglia. Settlement on the Neck and adjacent accreed reflected English medieval traditions of small nuclear villages in which people lived in close proximity to each other and the church and practised open field farming. In such a community everyone lived on a small house plots in the village which was dominated by the church and the manor house. Usually two or three large fields would surround the settlement with villagers owning narrow strips of land in each field. Farming was a cooperative activity. The villagers agreed what to plant and when to harvest. This tradition continued in Salem, where most early settlers lived on the neck on a one or two acre house plot. Northfields lay, logically enough, across the North River to the north of the neck and Southfields sat to the south of the South River. Residents of the neck made a daily trek to farm the ten acre strips or lots they owned in one of the fields. A common, it says, pasture for livestock lay at the western end of the neck. These traditional farming practices 
were rapidly changing throughout England, and particularly in East Anglia. Although some open fields remained in the 17th century, farmers bought, sold and traded acres. Consolidating and enclosing individual farmsteads to make them more efficient and better able to contribute to the growing commercial market in Greater London. Salem was one of many of the early townships of Massachusetts Bay to maintain open field towns with nuclear villages. Spiritual as well as practical reasons lay behind the settlement pattern. The Puritans wanted to build close knit communities in which people lived, worked, and prayed together at the same time. A nuclear settlement was more easily defended in case of attack and was a meeting house in the middle of the village. All residents would have only a short walk to attend worship services. In the most Massachusetts town, the outlying fields were turned into enclosed farms within a few years or at most several decades after settlement. Just as was happening in England, Historians have put forward many explanations for the shift. Some see it as East Anglians demonstrating their regional preference. Others see the convenience of living on one's farmland as outweighing spiritual needs. Some others point to the arrival of new immigrants and the concomitant need for more land. Yet in Salem, throughout the 17th century, both the North and South fields continued to consist of relatively small lots of farmland, owned and worked by individual inhabitants of the Neck. Meanwhile, the old planters, largely immigrants from the West Country, lived on larger tracts, roughly 100 to 200 acres, lying to the north and west of Salem Neck, which it was only fitting that these first comers be granted more land. It was also fortuitous for those from the West Country, practised a a very different kind of agriculture than did the East Anglicans. The rocky lands of Cornwall, Devon, Somerset and Dorset in the southwest of England were better suited for livestock than for cereal crops. Farmers tended to live on their own enclosed farmsteads, apart from their neighbours, and did not need to work in concert with them. Roger Conant and most of the old planters lived in the north side of Salem Harbour on their large tracks near the Bass River. In 1668, this region would split off from Salem and form the town of Beverly, named after a town in England. Still, other parts of Salem drew different sorts of settlers. Aside from Salem Harbour, there were smaller anchorages to the south at Marblehead and to the north at Jeffreys Creek. Both appealed to those who combined fishing with farming for a living marblehead in particular attracted those who seemed much more interested in pursuing cod than Puritan worship. Few church members lived here, and the area quickly gathered a profane reputation. Salem did not complain when Marblehead became a separate township in 1648, yet the towns have always been somewhat tied to each other. Marblehead has attended worship in Salem, or at least in theory, were supposed to attend, until their own meeting house was constructed and a church formed in 1684. Furthermore, Marblehead provided many of the hands who manned the fleets of Salem's merchants. 
to the north the settlement of Jeffreys Creek, incorporated as the town of Manchester in 1643. West of Manchester, settlement began at Great Pond, present-day Wenham Lake. In late 1638, with lands granted to a group of East Anglicans, many of whom had migrated together from Suffolk, England, an isolated pocket of settlement far removed from Salem Town, Wenham was incorporated as a town in 1643. Mm. So as we can see, things are already changing and being uh let's say shared out how they think willing you know uh at the moment when you think about it it does look quite structured quite safe but when you then think about it all in a larger perspective i guess it's actually not that great is it because they're already putting those lines between different families and different places so if they're doing that, it's going to cause arguments, I suppose. Um, but we'll see where it goes when we come back, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Salem Witch Trials and more the historical Salem and what leads up to the Witch Trials. Many blessings. <laughs>